You are listening to Why Can't We Have It All, a podcast focused on exploring the missing pieces in our healthcare system. This podcast is sponsored by Bowtie Medical, an innovative healthcare company that offers integrated virtual healthcare designed to keep you in control of your health and what you spend on it while lowering the cost of healthcare for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Why Can't We Have It All? The Missing Pieces in Our Healthcare System. I'm your host, Dr. Firuz Danishkiri, and for the convenience of this podcast, I'll be referring to myself as FD. I'm a professor of surgery and I have over 40 years of experience in the healthcare field. I have operated on thousands of patients, trained hundreds of doctors and medical students, published hundreds of scientific papers, and led several clinical departments and centers as their chairman or director. This podcast will focus on the fundamental question of why can't we have it all? Why we have some of the best doctors, nurses and medical professionals in the world, the best technologies and companies in the world, and yet it seems that everyone has a problem with our current healthcare system. We know it is the most expensive healthcare system in the world. We pay three to 500% compared to the rest of the world. It doesn't give us the care when we need it. We can't afford it. It can be unfriendly and cold at times. And most importantly, it is not helping us to become a healthier nation. The figures show that as a nation, we are getting more obese, we are getting more diabetes and other chronic conditions, and we rank in 20th and 30th in the world in quality of life measures. Even our politicians think, or so they say, that this is the number one problem they have to fix when they get to their elected offices. The question of why can't we have it all? Don't we have enough intelligence? Don't we have enough money and resources to fix our healthcare system? A healthcare that is affordable, is friendly, and most importantly, it will help us to remain healthy during our working and retirement ages. So we don't have to spend all of our time during the retirement ages going from doctor's appointment to another appointment. This is the question that hit me in the head a few years ago in midst of Obamacare discussion and changed the direction of my life and career. The aim of this podcast is to explore and answer these questions and to create a platform for exchanging ideas on how we can change the system. So if you're interested in finding the answers, please join me in this podcast. Through this podcast, we will examine how the system works or doesn't work. We will hear from the doctors and experts, and most importantly, I would love to hear from you to share your stories with us about the healthcare. What are the goods and bads and uglies of this system in your mind? And how together we could figure out a better system. For this episode, I have asked a colleague uh, and a uh, physician who I respect the most uh, to discuss a fundamental part of the access to healthcare, and that is the primary care. My guest is Dr. Kelly Bachner, who is board certified in family medicine and homeopathy. And I would like to uh, welcome Dr. Bachner to this episode. Uh, welcome, Kelly. Thank you. And uh, so start for us uh, describing the primary care. Uh, 
in the mind of the people, uh, mostly is the primary care versus a specialty. What does primary care mean in your uh, expert eyes and definition? Yeah, so primary care is actually designed to deliver a vast scope of healthcare services to individuals of all ages. It really should meet 80 to 90% of an individual's healthcare needs. And we often will deliver that through four basic, what we call pillars of care. Acute care, essentially, I'm sick right now and I need to talk to a doctor. General health concerns, which falls into the category of, I have a symptom or list of symptoms. I don't know what it could be, and I need to have someone help me figure it out. Wellness and prevention. Uh, when we reach a certain age, there are certain things or medical interventions that are recommended, and we need some guidance on what, what those are and how to obtain them. And then chronic disease management. This is where someone has a diagnosed condition or medical problem, and they might need some ongoing management, advice, education, and treatment based on that. Excellent. So um, this becomes really the first line of defense uh, for delivering my, my health care needs. Uh, and uh, so I uh, have this picture of me walking to a doctor's office and uh, all these four pillars of the cares, as you said, me or my family. So uh, we know that over the past uh, decade or so, the uh, primary care systems have changed. Uh, so those community-based uh, family physician offices are uh, no longer there. Uh, so I see a lot of uh, logos of the big systems, the big hospitals in the office of the primary care. Could you tell me how this primary care has shifted over the past uh, uh, few decades or so? Sure. Yeah, the, the primary care doctor's offices are still out there, but as you mentioned, they often bear the logo of their local large health system because many of those physicians have become employees of those large systems. As such, that's kind of changed the way primary care is being delivered as these physicians, now that they're employees of the hospital system, have an expectation to refer their patients for their specialty care, maybe some diagnostic imagings like x-rays, MRIs, or CAT scans, lab tests, and even some procedures within that health system. Um, and so that is not always in the best interest of the patient. Sometimes those facilities may be further away, or they might even be more expensive than they would at a different facility. Prior to this shift that we've seen in the employment side, um, many primary care physicians were caring for their patients in the office. Um, they were covering local hospitals' emergency departments. Um, they were providing comprehensive care, uh, splinting broken bones, suturing lacerations, um, all with this comprehensive knowledge that a family physician knows about their patient, their family, um, other things that might be impacting their care. The shift has created um, this kind of quiet 
the physicians are quietly discouraged from providing that level of comprehensive care in their own offices um, and in lieu of becoming referral machines for these larger systems. Um, and that often leads to a significant impact on their patients' overall physical, emotional, and even their financial health. Um, that explains and uh, is consistent with what uh, my own experience has been in the healthcare. As the, uh, the hospital systems over the past uh, two decades or so are buying more of the uh, independent physician practices, these physicians become the employees of those systems. Uh, so I had the uh, pleasure of serving one of those systems, and uh, I recall that as soon as a primary care practice was purchased, uh, we had a list of uh, uh, request that we would ask those primary care officers to refer to the uh, to the main ship to the main hospitals, uh, and uh, there was a terminology we used uh, as called the keepage, meaning keep all the basically revenue sources or the uh, orders for the hospital diagnostic and uh, so forth uh, within the system, uh, and the reason for the importance of that terminology is because the local physicians where they were in their own communities, they used to have their own network of referrals. You know, if I was a primary care physician and I wanted to refer someone to a neurologist or to a uh, gastroenterologist, there was someone down the road and I had that network. But this uh, expansion of the employed model of the uh, the primary care physician has definitely uh, disrupted that process, that local network, um, as the uh, hospitals and the employers want the primary care to refer the patients uh, to their systems. So um, uh, we will have another discussion on the uh, changing landscape in terms of the business model of the healthcare and how uh, it is shifting. Uh, but at this point, uh, Going back to the primary care, uh, where do you think our uh, direction should be? What is a better approach uh, to uh, preserve all those goods that the relationship, the, you explained the trustworthy relationship that uh, gets established between the, uh, between the patient and the primary care physician, the family doctor, and so forth, uh, what is a better way of uh, preserving that relationship and uh, uh, continuing to deliver uh, better health outcomes for the uh, for the members of our community? That's a good question, and I think a lot of people are in the medical field are are kind of dancing around. What should we do? How should we make this better? And our approach and our belief is that we need to shift the larger conversation, especially about primary care, to a person-centered approach. Um, and really this, this means, you know, a couple of key things. Um, one is that the, the approach to treating this patient um, medically revolves around that individual. It places them at the center of their medical care. Um, it engages them and encourages them to become active participants in their care decisions. And it allows the individual and the physician to focus on things that are important to the individual as well as what is important for them. So a medical 
intervention may be important for them, but is it important to them? This helps kind of bring them into that discussion as well. Um, this gives the medical professional a chance to get to know their patient, to see them as more of an individual and not just a series of what, you know, medical diagnoses or disease processes. Um, we allow this, um, not allow this, when we, when we inc incorporate this, we'd create a, a shared decision-making model where they become the center of the coordination and integration of the services and um, brings any and all care providers in their cir uh, circle into the process. And what we know is that the current hospital-controlled healthcare system doesn't allow this to happen very well. Um, that was a very uh, nice direction that you draw in my mind. And again, I uh, need to or we need to remain focused on this element because uh, our hope is we can dissect out the missing components of that uh, ideal healthcare system that uh, we could have it all. Uh, so separating that, that uh, so what I heard, if I summarize, that the four pillars of the care uh, could be reorganized toward what you explained as the person-centered care. So rather than my convenience as a provider, we look after the needs of our uh, consumer, of our patient, of our member, what is it that they need? Whether their need is a wellness program to keep them out of becoming obese or diabetic, their need is, uh, if they have a hypertension or diabetes, how to manage their chronic disease, or if when they need the acute care, uh, how we can deliver that efficiently. So all of this seems to me uh, be um, in, in going to a different direction uh, than uh, what you named it as hospital-controlled healthcare system, because I know and I remember the uh, currently, uh, the average time that is spent between a physician and a, a patient in the majority of this uh, hospital-controlled healthcare system is about five to seven minutes. Uh, so, patient drives for an hour, you know, go and wait there for whatever number of minutes to be seen for about five or seven minutes. And uh, so, there's a requirement in some of these hospitals uh, that the uh, the doctor has to see at least 30, 40, I have seen as high as 90 patients a day. Uh, and really the, um, the entire effort is spent on how I can minimize that minute of the contact so I can see more, uh, more patients per, uh, per day. So leaving that alone, uh, this concept of the person-centered care, um, uh, there, we have seen a lot of advantages in terms of uh, uh, the technology, in terms of the um, telemedicine, the video conferencing, and so forth. Uh, could you uh, uh, elaborate on how this person-centered uh, primary care could be delivered toward the convenience of the member, convenience of the patients? And again, this... The concept that I uh, uh, described uh, that, you know, you drive for, you take off from your work or you have to find a babysitter for your family. You drive and you go and wait and sit in a, um, 
waiting room with a number of other snuffy people sneezing and coughing to be seen for about five or seven minutes. Is there a better way for us to deliver this to our, uh, to our patients, to our members, given all the advances that we've had uh, in technology over the past several decades? Yeah, I, I think the answer is absolutely yes, there's a better way to do this. Um, and one of the ways that we are doing that is with the implementation of a virtual primary care program. Um, we have found and believe that at least 80% of those primary care health services can be delivered to our individuals without an in-person interaction, um, meaning the office visit that you were re describing there. We've just found that those are often unnecessary they create no additional value for the patient, and they create an additional burden, like you mentioned. Often it requires taking at least a half a day off of their work, um, finding childcare, um, waiting for long periods of time in crowded office you know, waiting rooms, um, and often exposing people to a level of, of illness through that whole process. Um, so we thought, why, why would we make people do this? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, so we, through a various modes of technology, these can be delivered at the convenience of our members, eliminate that additional burden, um, and we can still deliver those four basic pillars of primary care through our team of doctors, nurses, and advisors. Um, we take a proactive approach to helping them through these different, you know, acute care episodes or general health concerns, their wellness and prevention, and those chronic disease management situations, um, we are able to offer longer appointment times, um, whether it's with the doctor or the nurse or the advisor, um, so that we can really develop that relationship with a patient, a level of trust that they that they need to know. Um, to become engaged and to truly feel like a partner in their own health. Very interesting. So the virtual primary care. Uh, so is this the same as telemedicine or telehealth? No, it's actually different. They do share some similar features, mostly revolving around the acute care, which currently telemedicine or telehealth is directed mostly towards those acute care episodes. Um, you have a cough or a cold or some symptom um, and you can't see your own doctor for varying reasons. People are relying on telehealth for those immediate needs. But nobody right now, as we're aware, is delivering that full scope of primary care, um, the prevention, the wellness, and these other ongoing issues that, that may need some uh, follow-up and coordination. Coordination of care, yes. Integration. Yeah. So uh, what I hear is telehealth is really like a tool. It's like an electricity. You can use the electricity to run your dishwasher or your refrigerator or your uh, vacuum. So we use the telehealth or you use the telehealth to deliver that comprehensive person-centered care that you were explaining that would uh, respond to the needs of an individual uh, the acute care, the general health concerns, the wellness and prevention and chronic disease uh, management. Uh, yeah, yeah we, we use it as part of our tools, toolbox and um, use it when we need it and, and use other things when we need it as well to provide that full scope of primary care. 
Excellent. So uh, can this virtual primary care be used uh, if I have an insurance? Or explain to me how I, as a, a consumer of healthcare, could use this. Yeah, my answer would be, why not? Mm -hmm. Right, Insurance is designed for large expenses if you become hospitalized or something like that. But many, many people now are dealing with what, what we term high deductible plans. They have a lot of out-of-pocket expense that has to be met before their insurance even kicks in. So their primary care needs can be often an out-of-pocket expense for them even if they have insurance. So with our virtual primary care model, you have one simple monthly payment that covers all of our services. You have no surprises. You can use us when you need us, and you don't have to worry about anything coming on the backside where, whoa, where's this bill coming from? Excellent. So uh, can I use this uh, virtual primary care uh, if I have already a primary care or some other doctor's? Sure. I mean, we, we do strive to be the main provider for um, healthcare for all of our members, but we do understand and we fully respect that you may already have an established relationship with a physician in your, in your area. Um, and in that case, what we'd like to do is provide any additional services that you might need. Um, just support that relationship. So if your primary care physician is booked for three weeks and you have an acute need, like you have a cough or a cold and you can't get in to see them, we're there, and you can access us for that. Um, we we are available 24-7, so you don't have to wait. Um, we, through our nurses and advisors, we do a lot of proactive outreach. So if there's a lifestyle plan or a medication compliance program that your physician wants you to adhere to, we're there to help encourage you. We're there to help you check in. We're there to help kind of keep you on target for maximizing your health and helping to um, keep you on track with your treatment plans. As we are uh, recording this uh, episode during the uh, coronavirus or COVID-19 uh, pandemic, it seems to me that this pandemic is, has teach us anything is that uh, we are long overdue uh, for utilization of this technology that you're uh, describing, the virtual technology, in delivering the healthcare needs that people have as people are being ordered by the public health officials to stay home, don't go to work. Uh, and on the other hand, the hospitals and the emergency rooms are the battlegrounds themselves. So they're traditionally, they're uh, sick care. They only take care of people who are sick. But there's this gap uh, that is left for people. If I'm worried, you know, I have a running nose and so forth, what can I do? It seems that this uh, virtual care delivery is the answer to some of the issues that uh, we are facing now. Do you I, care I, to comment on that? Yeah, I think that's really a spot-on statement. You know, we are long overdue for fully implementing virtual technology into our current healthcare system. And, you know, as you mentioned, many hospital systems, either due to being overwhelmed with cases of this illness or in preparation for taking care of the very sick individuals who come in with this coronavirus illness, many of them, their primary care offices are closing their doors. Um, they're not taking appointments. You can't go to the office. So individuals who need ongoing medical care are experiencing an interruption in their 
ongoing medical care that they that they shouldn't be experiencing. We're operating business as usual. We have no reason not to uh, because we are virtual. So we can take care of their needs virtually um, as we have been for the last number of years. Excellent. So if I have to put my futuristic hat on, I would say this uh, coronavirus pandemic uh, created a very needed, timely tailwind uh, to uh, to this concept uh, that a number of non-value-added elements of a physical uh, visit uh, could be shown and the value added of the virtual delivery models could be shown. Yeah, and I think what we'll find is that once the general public has experienced virtual care, they're not going to want to go back to the traditional model, and I think that they're going to demand some change. And as we are running out of the time, but I can see that uh, in terms of the generational preferences, uh, that uh, now we are uh, increasingly relying on our mobile devices and our cell phone, and so is the next generation. And I can see that the next generation, along with the uh, other generation, will embrace uh, the concept of uh, virtual primary care as it could respond, as you said, about 80-90% of the needs uh, people have. Any yeah. closing comments? No, I think that's a great point. And I, and I think what um, one thing that I think will come out of this is that not only will the younger generation take advantage of virtual technology, but I think that this will bring along some of the um, older generation, if you will, yours and mine, <laughs> who have been somewhat resistant to it. I think that they'll start to really see the value in adapting a little bit more of a, of a technologically advanced program. Thank you so much. This was Dr. Kelly Bachner, a board-certified family physician. Uh, and we explored the concept of the primary care, uh, how the primary care should deliver the person-centered uh, needs of a person, uh, covering acute care, the health concerns, wellness prevention, and chronic disease management. I'm your host, FD, and this is the podcast of Why Can't We Have It All? discussing the missing parts of our healthcare system. Until the next episode, stay safe and be well.